If you have your Bible, which I hope you do, I'm, I'm still a little old school that way. Uh, I'm a Bible guy. I'm a real pages guy. Um, I believe in the word. Uh, I believe in the power of the word. So, so if you have your Bible, um, you can open it up to the book of Acts. I've been in Acts for a little while now, and my life has been in a fresh way just getting wrecked all over again. Um, I believe that's possible in any place in the Bible. I'm just saying that's where I've been recently, personally, has been in the book of Acts. Um, the Lord has just been opening up the book of Acts. It's the beauty of the word. right? You, you, in one sense, could hang out on one scripture verse for the rest of your life. And season by season, day by day, week over week, year over year, that one scripture verse, depending on where you're at, what you're doing, the things God is saying could ruin your life every day for the rest of your life. It absolutely could. So to feel as if we've cornered the market on certain places in the scripture or we become familiar almost to assume that there would be nothing else that God could reveal um, is a great danger. We want hearts that are sensitive. We want hearts that are wide open to God's voice. I don't want to ever get to the place where I become calloused and I'm like, man, I've read that before. Like, I already know everything. Ah, man, I've got commentaries on that. Um, Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is better than every commentary. Right? The Holy Spirit is better than every commentary. Um, He, in fact, is the one who inspired uh, those who wrote. Um, So when we turn to the book of Acts this morning, we're going to look into chapter 1. And I say that because chapter 1, especially in um, circles where, man, like we're after signs, wonders, miracles. We want the presence of Jesus. We want the power of God. Um, Acts chapter 1 becomes a familiar frame of reference. Right? It's It's the great place where the desire of Jesus gets released. He says, go and wait, because power is coming. Don't do anything. Right? That's verse 4. He commanded them, in Acts chapter 1, he commanded them, go and wait. Don't do anything. Power is coming. Don't do anything. Because you're going to need this power to do everything. So don't try and do anything until the power has actually come. Right? He was encouraging them, don't do anything. Right? Don't only not do the things that you feel the power is for. Don't try to do anything. Because as a matter of fact, the power is for everything. The power is not something that you can harness or leverage or try to massage into your own categories of preference. Right? The power is for everything. The power is not just for church services. The power is for the grocery store. The power is for how I interact with my spouse. The power is for how I raise my kids, right? Sometimes you realize you need more anointing for the way you raise your kids than you do when you're sitting in this chair. So the power is for everything. Jesus says, don't do anything, but go and wait, because I'm going to be faithful, and my Father is going to send power. We realize that it's not just power, but it's fire power. John the Baptist in Matthew 3, verse 11, as he's out baptizing in the wilderness by the Jordan, he says, though you think I'm the man, there's one coming after me. Whose sandals I'm not even going to be un- like worthy to tie. And I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So we realize it's not just power, but it's fire power. And Jesus says, go and wait for this. And the book of Acts is amazing this way. 
Because we need to return to the book of Acts not just as some simple historical account. Right? Because if we assume that Acts is only history, then we'll come to an assumption that it was left somewhere in the distant past for a specific group of people. And what Acts is actually trying to communicate to us, we will not lay hold of for the current events and future things that are coming our way. Acts is not just history, but Acts is also prophecy. Acts is a prophetic demonstration of a people towards the end of the age that are going to be on fire. They are going to be powerful. They are going to be baptized into the deep end of devotion to Jesus. They're going to be a family that has been broken from what 1 John would tell us. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, the world system, all of its distractions, this age that is passing and fading away. Acts gives us a glimpse of a people that will be deeply planted in cities, regions, nations, radically aligned with God and his purposes, fulfilling the mission of the gospel in their hour of history, being faithful to the Lord, fulfilling his purpose, not necessarily chasing after all of the things that the world is appreciating and consuming. This is the picture that Acts gives us, and it's not only something that was in history, because Acts is not only history, Acts is also prophecy. Acts gives us the idea of what the church will look like because it is what the church should look like. For God deserves a people. He deserves a people. He deserves a people. For he has gone to great lengths in order to make sure that he can have what he wants. Man, this is a confrontational statement, especially for American life, with all of our luxuries and entitlements when held against the rest of the world. Jesus has not laid down his own life to make sure or to secure that we can have everything that we want. Because God is not primarily interested in only fitting himself into our story. But God has laid down his own life in order to secure everything that he wants. And there is something that God wants. There's a people that his son deserves. There's a bride that the work and the power of his spirit is readying. Without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, Ephesians 5.27 tells us. And when the bride has made herself ready, Revelation 19.7 tells us that we will enter into that wonderful moment that all of our lives are leaning forward towards. That marriage supper of the Lamb. When the Father will be able to present to His Son the bride that He deserves. For Jesus deserves this people. He laid His life down in order to make sure that He could have this people. The power of the Spirit is working right now throughout the nations of the world to ready this people. Not to ready them to be better cultural Christians. Because we live in an hour where you can be a cultural Christian and not actually be Christ-like. 
You can be a cultural Christian without any real dependency on the person of Christ himself. You can check all the boxes. Will I attend my meetings? I give in offerings every once in a while. I pray before my meals because this is what Christians do. And we can have all of our systems and we can have all of our constructs. We can have all of our images, all of our filters. And not actually be Christ-like. Meaning a people that are actually being transformed at a default level in our nature to where we're not trying to fake it till we make it. And we're not just trying to be Christian, but we are actually becoming Christ-like. Where he is in me. And there's a divine life that is now housed on the inside. And I am a new creature. I'm not just a polished up version of the old me. I'm not just a better person than I used to be. Right? The Christian moral assumption culturally is that we just behave better than the bad guys. But some of us know our behavior well. But from an inward perspective, that corruption from the inside has not yet been broken and conquered by a divine life. We just know how to better behave according to a natural life. And our dependency is on a system. It's on our efforts. It's on our intellect. It's on all of our dependencies that leverage our own ideas as to what this life is supposed to be like. And this is what Acts actually sets up. Acts sets up the idea that God is repopulating cities, regions, and nations with a new version of human. That God's rescue mission in the darkest hours of history looks like a people that are on fire because they are full of His Spirit. They are determined because they've been broken from the desires of the world. They are faithful because they are radically aligned to God's purposes. And in every season, they are succeeding. Not according to the world's definitions. Man, I'm telling you, you go all in with Jesus, there's going to be times that the world laughs. There's going to be times that the world mocks. There's going to be times that the world tells you you're wasting your life, you're squandering your talents. You go all in with Jesus according to the world's definitions because now we are a people that we no longer belong to the world. We belong to Jesus. And because we belong to Jesus, the world doesn't get to determine or define how successful our lives are. Because at the end of the age, the one seated upon the throne, the worthy one to open the seals and break open the scroll will not be corporate America and Wall Street. It will not be Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram. It will not be Hollywood, the music industry. It will not be all of these spheres and sects of power and influence and platform that the world has determined should be able to define the success of our lives. The worthy one will be the root and the descendant of David. The lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. The holy and righteous one. This will be the one seated upon the throne. And he alone is the one who has the ability to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. He alone reserves the right to determine the success of our lives. And Acts gives us, yes, a historical account 
but also a prophetic glimpse of what's possible for a people that actually fully give themselves over to God and yield their hearts to the fire and the power that the Holy Ghost actually brings upon us when we say yes to Jesus. It gives us a prophetic glimpse. And as you begin to track through the book of Acts, you understand that it does not matter the scenario. These people are powerful. There are corrupt and wicked governmental structures that are against them. There are tyrannical systems that oppose them. They are beaten in the streets. They are jailed. They are persecuted. They are chased down. They are found out. They are ripped out of their homes legally. Yet they are progressing with God's purposes. Yet they cannot be stopped. Yet no matter where you find them, they have the announcement of the gospel on their lips and a demonstration of signs, wonders, and miracles as an accompaniment. This is what Acts is foretelling, if you would. That towards the end of the age, we realize that there's going to be a global escalation of darkness. The enemy will understand that he's running out of time. And there will be a full-blown onslaught that will lead up towards the unveiling of the man of corruption, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist himself, when he will take up a physical place upon the earth. And there will be great days of darkness. But even as Revelation prescribes, it's not about dragons and the whore of Babylon and all of these other things. The whole purpose of the book is found in the first verse of the book. It is the great revealing of the person of Jesus. When a lot of the focus will be on darkness and corruption and sin and tyranny. But then the trumpet will sound and the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And the one who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords will come riding upon the clouds. And he, he himself will be the one that will make everything right. And he will evict wickedness. And he will destroy the jurisdiction of the wicked one and the beasts that roam the earth. Acts is giving us a picture of what's possible. And it's giving us a picture of what's possible because Acts provides for us the necessary means to observe and measure. Because whether we understand it or not, a life in God is observable and measurable. It's observable. We get to watch people live when they say they're a believer. And it's measurable because we get to determine over time the overall quality of that life as it's being observed. It's measurable and it's observable. And this is what we get in the book of Acts. We get a people that say they are filled with God's spirit. We know that to be true because their account testifies. But then we get to observe them as they go. 
and we get to measure the overall quality or power or substance of life that is actually being expressed. It's on display. We get to watch them as they are a living demonstration. This is what Acts provides for us. And as they go, their life is both observable and it's measurable. But it's not only for those in Acts. It's also for you and I. Because people are watching us live. Our life is observable. And the day has to come to an end where we are powerful in public, yet pitiful in private. Where we just know how to do the right stuff. Where all of the externals, the images, where I know how to be powerful in public, but then privately I'm overwhelmed with depression and anxiety, but I can't let anybody know because I'm supposed to be a powerful person because I'm a Christian. I can't let anybody know that that I'm really on the verge of divorce with my spouse because if they knew, then they wouldn't think about me, the things that I want them to think about me because I'm supposed to be a powerful person because I'm a believer and I know what's possible, but I'm not living in the fullest measure of the potential that I know that's possible. And at times there's a disconnect There seems to be a vast chasm between what we understand to be possible. Here's the blueprint. Here's what God has prescribed. It's the encouragement of what a life in God, when lived by the power of the Spirit, is actually supposed to look like, feel like, the display of it in real time. Because we don't all have these little bubbles that we can tuck our life into that are just little safe environments where nothing ever goes wrong and there's never any disruption and nothing ever gets me to the point where it works me and irks me to where what's actually on the inside of me comes to the surface. Is that, that's not my life. That's not my life. So the power of the Spirit has to be observable in real time. In real time. As we integrate into real life. That's why Paul's instructions to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3 when he lays out his qualities for leadership, they're all things that are measurable and observable. And none of them are things that you can fake. He has to have a good report with outsiders. This isn't like the one or two friends that you know if you ever need a job reference you can call. And they're going to lie for you. right? They're going to tell a bunch of things to the, you know, the possible employer that are actually not true. But you can count on them. You know what I mean? Because, well, you really know my heart. It's like, no, 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 we're talking about people that fit into a different category. We're talking about who are you at the grocery store? Who are you at the gas station, the restaurants that you frequent? He has to have a good report with outsiders. Can't be a man that's self-willed. Can't be somebody given over to fits of rage. These are leadership qualities, by the way. Can't be somebody given over to drunkenness. Has to be the husband of but one wife. Has to know how to manage his home well. Because if he can't manage his house, then what business do you think he's going to have attempting to manage the house of God? All of these are observables and they're measurables. They're things that we actually get to glean from and learn about the quality of life that we are living as we are living our life in God by the power of the Spirit. And Acts testifies to us that it is possible. That it is possible to actually be transformed. That it is possible to actually be a living witness. An on fire demonstration 
of what's possible to those who have responded to the announcement of the gospel the right way. Those who have given their whole heart and their whole yes to Jesus. And there's no more limitations. There's no more reservations. I am all in. It is all Jesus. It is all the time. I don't want anything else. I won't have it any other way. And if God said that this type of life is actually what's possible, then this is the type of life that I want to live. And Acts testifies to us that it is possible. I want to tell you this morning, it is possible. It is possible. I think there's a growing frustration and dissatisfaction right now across the landscape of Christianity where we are realizing that a man's gift alone is not going to have the ability to produce in us the desired life that God said is possible. There's a growing frustration and a sense of dissatisfaction that all of our overhyped, entertainment-driven, man-centered church culture is realizing its bankruptcy, its futility because of the results that it's actually producing. The results that are actually coming out of the systems that we've integrated people into, again, that are driven by hype, that are focused on entertainment. Are you entertained? I don't actually care. Are you being transformed? My interest is not whether you're entertained. It's whether or not you're actually being transformed. Are you becoming a different thing? Are you becoming someone new? Are you that new creature? And are you being conformed into the image of Jesus? The man-centered, entertainment-driven, overhyped culture. I think that there's a growing dissatisfaction. And we're coming into great days where the person of Jesus and the presence of Jesus is going to once again be the main attraction. Where the power of God is going to be the attractional model that we're all looking for. What's attractive is the person of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. What's attractive is real life change. What's attractive is actual demonstration. What's attractive is signs, wonders, miracles. What's attractive is miracles, signs, wonders, wonders, signs, miracles. The person and the presence of Jesus to take center stage and be the main attraction once again. And this is what we have as the conflict throughout the book of Acts, or one of them at least for sure. We have a people that made Jesus everything. And God actually invaded a family. He inhabited a people. He created a dwelling place for himself in a family. He possessed a people and not a program. <laughs> he possessed a people and not a program. And God was in the midst of them. And everyone else knew it. So much so that when Peter and John are brought into jail because of the lame man that was healed outside of the gate beautiful, we realize the story in Acts 3. They're going to prayer. The guy that's there is lame. He's asking for money. 
They're unwilling to satisfy the demands of the world with the world's resources. They realize they have actual power. They realize that what the world needs is not necessarily what it's asking for. They're not trying to give in to the world's conversation because they know that the gospel has created a new conversation. And this is where their attention is. And they raise him up. And it actually creates a lot of haters and critics. Because when God starts moving, not everybody becomes a cheerleader. (laughs) Not everybody becomes a cheerleader. Some of us like things the way they are. Miracles are uncomfortable. Signs and wonders are a little disturbing at times because these are things that are outside of our control. And there's just something inherent within us that demands control. It's actually... Something that all of us deal with to a different level of measure. We want our own independence. I want to be able to control things. I want to be able to govern the way that my life looks and where it should go. And Peter and John, they actually get put in jail because of some dude getting healed out on the street corner. And they get brought in chapter 4 before the high priest and the Sanhedrin and all the pharisaical leaders. This is the religious elect. These are the who's who's. They are the somebodies. They would be the notables across the landscape of religiosity. These are the positions and the powerful ones. These are the ones with titles and responsibility and influence. And they are now confronted by way of indictment by these guys. And they're standing there. And after interrogating them, Peter and John give them the business. It was you guys. You stiff-necked, bankrupt, wicked people who crucified the king. You did it. But don't worry. You saw him once, but you will see him again. For he will come again. Ready yourselves. (laughs) And their takeaway, these dudes are dumbfounded. Like, they are completely perplexed. They are dumbfounded. And they rally together. And in Acts 4, verse 13, it says, man, this is their evaluation. These guys have no kind of training whatsoever. These guys have no formal education, but it's undeniable that they've been with him. Here we find a confrontation of styles. We find a confrontation of systems. The real indictment is not coming from the religious system against Peter and John. For Peter and John are not the ones that are actually on trial. Peter and John are the ones putting an entire religious system on trial. And the indictment against them is in the entire lifetime of your system, all of your externals, all of your images, all of your facades, all of your power moves, all of your platforms, all of what you know how to do and form out of your own strength. All of that has never been able to manufacture something with the substance of what we are. 
Your systems have never been able to make a man that looks like this. Your systems have never been able to produce a person that actually lives this way. Right? If we remember, it was Jesus in Matthew 23 who actually, my Bible subtitles it, the eight woes. Because on eight different occasions, he rebukes the mess out of the Pharisees. Your blind, your blind guides. You are the ones who resist those who have desire from entering into the kingdom. But it's because you yourselves will not enter in. On eight different points, he rebukes the Pharisees. John the Baptist said that they were whitewashed tombs, that they were a brood of vipers, that they were hollow, bankrupt, corrupt on the inside, yet pretty and perfect out to men. Paul, a zealous Pharisee, said, according to the law, I was found blameless. Blameless is, it's a verdict that you issue in court. It doesn't mean that you're not guilty of the crime. It just means that no one can prove it. <laughs> doesn't mean that you're not guilty of the crime. It just means that no one actually can prove it. Paul said, I was found blameless according to the standards, according to the forms of religiosity. He said, I was found blameless. But what Paul did not say is that I was found sinless. Because what he also understands is that he considered himself to be the chief of sinners. Even though he was a zealous Pharisee. Even though he was a model of perfection to the culture. Even though he was something and someone that many others desired. They aspired to be more like him. But Paul understood though there was an aspiration in culture to be more like him. Paul had a dissatisfaction with what he actually was. I believe with all of my heart that there is a burning in the hearts of people that have seen him and know him. Not Paul, Jesus. I believe that there's a burning. There's a, there's a real longing that's returning in our day. Because when we look at the world and things are breaking, things are shaking, corruption seems to be abounding. These things have always been, but we seem to be in an accelerated hour where these things are being celebrated and endorsed, marketed and furthered to a degree that, that it's right now, it's actually astounding. And like Habakkuk, we can look around and say, injustice, injustice, God, where are you? But there's a longing, there's a groaning that right now is happening on the inside. Because we understand, those of us that bear the Spirit, there's a groan that's coming alive on the inside. Because the Spirit groans to see God's purposes fulfilled. The Spirit is longing to see what it is that God desires actually manifested across the nations of the earth. It's the Holy Ghost that radically aligns us as a people with God himself and then with his purposes. This is what Jesus said. You're going to receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Not power so that you can dance in a meeting. Not power so that you can leverage that towards all of your own Christian ideas and ambitions. Not power so that you can do all the stuff that you want to do is the point. I'm giving you power so that you can do everything my Father needs you to do. 
because I have laid down my life to make sure I can get everything I want, and now your life is being put into my story, so you need to stop trying to fit out where I can fit into your story. Because I'm not interested in fitting into your story. I'm interested in you coming into my story. Because I have a plan. I have a purpose. I have a will. And I have opened up my own life and given you everything you need in order to be radically aligned with me and my purposes. And I will be with you. I will give grace to you. I will put the fire and the power on your life that you need in order to be faithful to me. And this is what Acts testifies to, that it's possible. There's more than what you've been satisfied with. There's so much more than just what grabs the cultural Christian applause. There's a shifting that's happening right now. We're in a season where the divine tectonic plates, if you would, are shifting beneath the foundations of the surface of everything that we have called, considered, and even celebrated as to our cultural appreciation of a worldly version of Christianity. There is a shifting that is happening right now. And the power of the Spirit is pressing forward with an invitation to men and women to involve themselves in God's story to the fullest measure and potential of what God says is possible. And as Psalm 42 declares, there is a deep calling unto deep in this season. There's a burning and a groaning that God is depositing in the hearts of sons and daughters. Paul says the Spirit bears witness to this in Romans 8. He says all of creation is groaning. Yes, that's 819. Because even creation realizes it's been subjected to the tyranny of corruption. That's Romans 819. Even corruption to creation is understood. Even creation is desiring its fullest redemption when it will be set free from its bondage and corruption. That's 819. But 822.23, Paul then says, and we too, because we have the down deposit of the Spirit, we too groan. We too groan because we realize that there's so much more. We too groan because I'm just not satisfied to be okay with what everybody else says is okay. Paul says we too groan because there's a work of the Spirit in us right now that is creating a divine dissatisfaction. I know we could just do what everybody else is doing. And I know that they may be okay with that, but I'm not. I know that I could just set my life up the way that everybody else says it's okay to just set your life up. And hey, bro, we're all just going to do the same thing. And man, the world subscribes to this version of Christianity, but I'm not okay with that. Because I understand something on the inside, and I don't even have to be able to communicate it that well. But something on the inside is burning and it's churning. There's a groan on the inside that I know there is more possible than this. And Paul says that those of us who bear the Spirit, we also bear a groan. And he says, and at times, because we don't really know how to pray. This is 828. 
or 826, we're getting to 28. That we don't know how to pray, but because of this, we have the Spirit. But listen to what he says the Spirit is doing. The Spirit is in us. You can read it for yourself. This isn't like Mike's living translation. 826 says, the Spirit is in us, interceding for us. At times, with groaning, travailing, longing on the inside, interceding for us according to the will of God. The Spirit is interceding in you, for you, according to God's will, not yours. According to God's desires, not yours. According to what God wants, not what we want. It's the Spirit in us, groaning, longing, travailing. God, I know there's something you have for them. Would you make them everything that they can be? I know that you gave your life for this. Would you perfect that work on the inside of them? I know that you laid down your life and you shed blood in order for a new version of humanity. Would you make them this new creation? Would you break the bondage off of them that creates these limitations? Would you shed from them their own ideas and opinions and efforts that are limiting all of their potential? This is the way the spirit is groaning. And at times we don't even know how to communicate that. And there's just an eruption of groaning and longing from the inside. And Paul says those of us who bear the Spirit. Jesus said those of us who bear the Spirit. This is the purpose. To be radically aligned to God himself. I'm going to give you access unlike anything you've ever known. Your religious systems can't give you access to me this way. Right? That's what Peter and John responded whenever they were confronted after the man got healed. They said, don't think that it's by our own power or piety that we did this. Don't think that it's by my own power, effort, or piety, adherence to religious structures and observations. Don't think that it's by my own power or piety that this miracle actually happened, that this sign and wonder was actually produced. They said, it's not us, it's him. And God said, I'm going to give you the spirit. So that you can be radically aligned to me and then radically aligned to my purposes in the earth. Radically aligned to me and radically aligned to my purposes. Let me ask you, as you consider the observables and the measurables of your life, do you feel like you are radically aligned to God? <laughs> do you feel that? Because you should. And it's not beyond the realm of possible for you to feel that way. And I'm not talking about getting into emotionalism where everything is about a feeling. I'm talking about a restful confidence that I actually know him. I'm deeply connected to him. I am radically aligned to him. He has made himself accessible to me. He is fully available, yes, to everyone, but to a someone. And that someone is me. And it has completely changed my life. Do you feel this way? Do you have this confidence? Are you at rest deeply on the inside? Does it affect everything about who you are and the what that you now do in response to what has been made available? to you? Do you sense that you are radically aligned to God? 
Because it will be very difficult to be radically aligned to his purposes if you do not sense that you are radically aligned to him as a person. But God is raising up an invitation in these days. And the one thing that God cannot do is give a yes for you. (laughs) That's the one thing that God cannot do is he cannot give a yes for you. That is what we must do ourselves. We can know exactly what God wants and still willingly choose to not give ourselves in the fullest way possible to it. Jesus appeared to over 500 over a period of 40 days. We know that because of Acts 1, and also Paul echoes that in 1 Corinthians 15, 6. Over 500, Paul says. In Acts 1, it was 40 days. Over 500 of them saw him and knew that he was alive from the dead. Over 500 of them realized with many convincing proofs is what Acts 1 tells us. That he revealed to them that he was alive. They knew that he had overcome. We're talking about a dude that was publicly executed and now he's back. Over 500 saw him. Over 40 days, he taught them about the kingdom. About what he wanted. About his coming again. And about what they were to do until that actually happened. Over 500. But the Bible says that only 120 of them made it to the upper room. Wow. Over 500 knew. I I can see you and I can hear you. But I just don't want what you want. Only 120 of them actually made it to that room. The thing that God will not do for us is say yes. Not for us. He has already said yes to us. And now our yes and the measure of our yes is what either creates or limits the measure of involvement in God's story that we experience. Because he is doing what he's doing. He's doing it the way that he wants to do it. And he is going to have everything that he has said he wants to have. You have no power to decide those things. None of us can stop what he's doing. None of us can change the way that he's doing it. And none of us get to alter whether or not he actually gets, at the end of the age, everything that he says he wants. But the one thing that we do get to determine is whether or not we're going to be involved. And Acts gives us the prophetic prescription of what it looks like for those who say yes. They're powerful because they're free. They're bright. They're burning. Acts gives us not just the assumption, but it creates the conclusion. And if you have any sort of dissatisfaction on the inside at all, Acts gives us hope. If you have any 
sort of just thought at all on the inside, if you've ever said to yourself, there's got to be more than this. Like Solomon, as he surveys life, man, I've had houses, I've had money, I've had women, I've had jobs, but when I die, it all goes away, and I have to give it to somebody else. But in chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, he says, but God has branded the hearts of men with eternity. If you've ever thought to yourself, man, is this it? This is all? I attend a meeting once a week? This is the climax of Christianity? This is what God came and died for? Jesus was beaten beyond recognition and poured his own blood out so that I could complain when the meeting goes a little long on Sunday? So that I could be all bent out of shape when they didn't sing my song or the music was too loud? Like, this is, this is what God envisioned was going to turn the world upside down? If you've ever had a thought on the inside, there's got to be more than this. There has to be. I'm just unwilling to believe that this is all. Acts tells us this is not all. Acts tells us that the spirit on the inside of you is the one that's groaning for you to finally give the yes to God that he desires. That that painful ache on the inside at times, it's the work of the spirit trying to bring us across the threshold of our own inherent satisfaction with the power structures, the facades, the images, just knowing how to do right and be appealing to the religiosity of the culture. There has to be more than that. And oh, there is. Acts shows us what happens when a people get baptized with fire and power as a way of life. And it invades every space and place. And it occupies every place in the culture. Wherever we find ourselves, wherever we choose to go, whoever seems to be around, Acts gives us a glimpse that God's family is unstoppable because it is uncontrollable. Governmental structures can't stop it. Wicked rulers and leaders can't oppose it. The pressure from the religious crowd and all of their accusation and indictment can't shut it down. It gives us the idea that a people that give themselves to God are actually what God is after. And they become the means through which God changes the world and the landscape of circumstance around them. But are we moved by this mission at all? We should be. Are we moved as deep calls unto deep? Are we moved at all that we've been given a time period to be faithful to God and that our lives will come into account 
Are we moved at all that God's heart is for the readying of a powerful people, a bride that will love his son? Are we moved at all that the invitation that has come crashing into our hearts is not just to be a religious person that loves the world? Are we moved at all? Because the one thing that God cannot do is say yes for you. But I promise you, on the other side of that yes, awaits the life that you always thought was possible. Because it's there. It's there. And Jesus said, go and wait. And don't do anything until you actually receive. What would happen this morning? And I'm not creating the idea that you're going to get zapped today and just become a brand new person. That Now, there has been a handful of moments in my life where I've gotten zapped. But it's been the day-by-day, moment-by-moment. Continue to say yes to God. That has really changed my life. It's been the day-by-day determination to continue to say yes to continue to yield my heart to him, to continue to create room for him to be who he wants to be and to do what he wants to do. This more so than my expectation that if I can just get to the right place, just have the right person put their hand on me, conference hop, and all of this other types of stuff, that maybe I'll just get zapped eventually. Acts tells us that the life that we really feel is possible is possible and that it's for everyone what would happen if you actually said yes to the Lord in the way that he wants you to and not just the room that you've created a yes for so many times we have a space that we want God to fit into we have a yes that we've decided we're willing to give. But what would happen if you finally came to the point where you said, you know what? I've been trying to do it my own way. And I'm not necessarily yielding the results that I'm looking for. Right? That's what Jesus said. Are you weary? Are you tired? Come to me. All of you who are tired of doing it your own way, all of you who are overburdened, you're taxed, because you're trying to figure it all out yourself, come to me. I'll give you rest. And then learn from me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Learn from me. Because I'm meek and humble. Learn from me. Because I'll show you the way. What would happen if you gave this yes to the Lord? I believe it would possibly ruin your life in the best way. I believe it would ruin your life (laughs) in the most amazing way. I believe it would get super awkward and uncomfortable in the most amazing way. If God actually invaded your life the way that he desires to and has made a way to, 
Let's all, let's all stand up. Uh, I want to pray for you this morning. This morning, if you bear witness with what I'm saying, and you, you've sensed on the inside that there's, there's a growing dissatisfaction, I'm not saying in a carnal way, I'm not saying all of my own opinions and preferences, right, because we easily slip into the, this side of the, the conversation. There's a growing dissatisfaction that the results are not lining up. The results, they're they're not adding up to what God said is possible. And there's, there's a longing on the inside for something more than just the supposed satisfaction with the cultural Christian system. There has to be more. And there's a desire to live in a place of habitation. To live in a place of a restful confidence that I am radically aligned to God and radically aligned to His purposes. And there's this zeal, this electricity, this energy and excitement that I know that though the world may laugh and mock and criticize, that I'm actually fulfilling God's purpose. And if you bear witness at all, and you have that, that man, I want it. I, I want it because there has to be more. Whatever it would look like, wherever it would go, I want it. And you feel this divine discontentment. Then right there, wherever you're standing, I'm just going to ask you, would you lift your hands? I want to pray for you.
Yeah, Lord, I pray right now for all of those who are divinely discontent. They're stirring, they're longing, their sense of being burdened deeply on the inside. It moves them. The groan that's housed because of the work of the Spirit. Deep, deep, calling unto deep, deep on the inside. That groan, because Paul said, we bear witness that there's more. We bear witness that there's more. We bear witness that there's more. That groan on the inside. Oh, God. I ask you right now. I'm asking you right now, Lord, deeply on the inside. Touch them deeply enough to move them. Touch them deeply enough to move them. Lord, I pray a fresh work of the Spirit. I pray for a soft, yielded heart to the work of the Spirit. I pray bring them across the threshold of their own perceived discomforts, all of our own opinions and ideas as to the way God has to do it, all of the harnessing of the work of God that we put upon the work of the Spirit in our own lives. Be free, Holy Ghost, to be who you want to be. Be free, Holy Spirit, to do what you want to do. Be free. Um, And now I speak to their hearts. Be free. Be free to be the person that God created you to be. Be free to be the fiery one that God created you to be. Be free to be that wild lover of Jesus that God knows you can be. Be free to be powerful in your purpose because God knows that's who he made you to be. Be free to be sensitive to the moving and the nudging and the unction of the Spirit. Be free to create space in every place of your heart and life for God to inhabit. Be free for Him to lead you. Be free for Him to fill you. Be free.